0: Good morning, this uh, talk entitled "Fowls of the Air is part of a series, The Lord Jesus is Coming Again, available under Foy Fellowship on iTunes Store. This was uploaded some time ago now, however it is still very relevant to our recent talks when we see how the world events are heading towards a one-world government and a one-world religion. We see chaos everywhere. In the presidential elections in the USA, where people are presented with a choice of two extremely unpopular candidates. The referendum in the UK seems to have caused more problems than it envisaged, and yet another Scottish independent referendum seems a likely possibility. There appears to be no one anywhere with any positive answers to most problems. The financial worlds are in turmoil and our banks still do not inspire confidence. The world of sport is just one big scandal of drugs, duplicity and greed. Our National Health Service appears to be constantly running out of ideas and money. Wars continue across many continents and the resultant refugee and displaced persons mess grows bigger every day. People are worried, concerned befuddled and perplexed. Our churches are no help either. I see that the Archbishop of Canterbury is part of some panel whose task is to agree a permanent date for Easter. A problem which will apparently take five or more years to solve. Talk about moving the deck chairs on the deck of the titanic it's unbelievable and meanwhile the congregations shrink a majority of our youth have no real faith or belief in a God who sent his son to die for them meanwhile what of the future the next major event will be the coming of Christ in the rapture for his church, an event in which most churches do not believe. Following this event will be the Great Tribulation, the reign of the Antichrist and his associate, the False Prophet. Read about it mainly in the books of Revelation and Daniel. But here again churches do not believe the book of Revelation. Here is what Rowan Williams previous Archbishop of Canterbury wrote about Revelation in his book Open to Judgment. The book contains two scripts. One with a clear and haunting authority but the other, tightly written, pen driving into cheap paper, page after page of paranoid fantasy and malice, like the letters clergymen get so frequently from the wretched and disturbed. Perhaps as we read the Revelation of John, we should let its ugly and deceased elements, Speak to us in this way. The very disorder, the madness and vengefulness of certain passages can help us to hear more clearly the depth and authority of others. Or again, the rantings of John the Divine about his theological rivals are part of the byproduct of the very vision of the Living One that shows these ravings for what they are by showing the radical and unconfirmed purpose of God in Jesus Christ. That's what Rowan Williams thought about the book of Revelation. You know with leaders like him there's little hope for our youth. Of course He is a man of great prayer. He uses Hindu-type mantras when praying every morning. So there we are. I trust that this talk, The Fowls of the Air, will be a help to you. And thank you again for listening. Let's just get out Matthew chapter 13. We'll just keep our finger in that. Last week, we looked at various aspects of what people believed about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And we said we will look at scriptures and see if we can understand and uh, try and find out what scripture teaches about this very important subject. There were two main theories we said about the end times in relation to the church. That the gospel would spread and spread throughout the world. Or that the gospel would become corrupted. That error would creep in and that those remaining true to God's word would in fact be few in number. And we're going to look at four parables in Matthew chapter 13. A parable. When we were kids, we were always told the parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I suppose that's as good uh, an explanation, perhaps, as any. It comes from para, which means beside. We have paramilitary, those that worked alongside the military. We have paramedics. We have people who work alongside the medical profession. And so we have parable. The, the, the other part of it is B-O-L-E, which means to throw. So a parable is something which is thrown down alongside an illustration or a story, to illustrate that story. It's put down alongside some truth, and it helps the people to understand the truth that has been given. A couple of things about parables... We should not look at a parable and create our doctrine by what it says in the parable. But it helps us to understand the truth or the doctrine. It illustrates the doctrine. But we shouldn't go to a parable and then try and illustrate the truth by what the parable says. We should go to the truth and see how that parable illustrates the truth. you understand what I mean? We shouldn't twist the parable to fit in to what we believe is the doctrine. We should the do, the parable should naturally illustrate all that doctrine. I also believe that all aspects of a parable must be applicable. If the parable does not fit in with the truth, it illustrates. Then it is our interpretation of that truth which is wrong and not the parable. You understand? We must accept what the parable says, but it must illustrate totally the truth. I don't believe that our Lord just made up a story, or parable, part of which suited his point that he was trying to illustrate, and the other part of the parable was just something which he just added on for the sake of the story. We have a thing stuck in the back of my Bible. Some of you may have heard it saying before. Interpret that portion of scripture which is obscure by that which is clear. If you have a bit of scripture which you don't understand, go to some part of the Bible that that bit is clearer and interpret the obscure bit by the bit that is totally clear. We go to the passage that we're looking at, then we go to the immediate context of that passage within the the chapter, and then within the book, and then within the same writer to see what he says about the subject. And then go and look, see what the the New Testament or the Old Testament says about it, and then go to the other testament and see what it says about it. Work your way out of the uh, problem that you find difficult or the subject we find difficult but to always take it in context to what was being said I want to look briefly at these parables and not really to expand the parables or, if I could uh, or not but in relation to the end times that we're going to look at things that are that things are going to get better in relation to the doctrine and the purity of the church. Now we've had nearly 2,000 years since the church was formed and we have to look at these parables to see if either of the propositions which we're thinking about fit in to the theories. And so we read chapter 13 of Matthew the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore and he spake many things unto them in parables behold a sower went forth to sow and when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixtyfold some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now go to verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, Jesus speaking to his disciples. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, but when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold some sixty and some thirty another parable put he forth unto them saying the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this the servant said unto him wilt thou then that we go and gather them up but he said nay lest while ye gather up the tares ye root up also the wheat with them but let them grow together until the harvest and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable and spake he unto them the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened going to verse 37 he explains the parable of the tares he that soweth the good seed is the son of man the field is the world the good seed are the children of the kingdom But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, of the age. And the reapers are the angels. And that's enough. We won't read any more for the moment. You know, we have here the parable of the sower. We're all familiar with the parable of the sower. And we look at the explanation that Jesus gives, because we know the story of the parable of the sower. Jesus, in this passage here, he doesn't mention who the sower is. The seed is sown in various places. You'll see that it's sown on the wayside, on the thorny ground, on the good ground, and so on. And you notice that it says... Each type of person is recognized in this. It says in uh, in verse 19, When one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he. This is he. The seed is placed in various parts of the kingdom of heaven. The next parable describes the, the one about the tares that the, the seed is the son, are the sons of the kingdom or the sons of the evil one. And these people who have been sown some have a greater knowledge of truth than others. Some do not understand the teaching some have are shallow in their beliefs others are materialistic while others are fruitful And zealous for the truth. Someday we look at all these parables perhaps. But that will be a whole exercise in itself. But particularly I want to see what happened to the seed that fell by the wayside. What happened to the seed that fell by the wayside? When Jesus gave the, the story, the parable itself. He says, when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. In verse 19, he tells us who these fowls of the air are. When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So the fowls of the air that came and plucked away the seed, it says here quite clearly, then cometh the wicked one. So, what do we have? The fowls of the air equate or match up with the wicked one. We will see the importance of this in a moment. It's also worth noting actually in that parable that only 25% of the seed was successful, 75% of it wasn't. And of that 25%, only uh, a third produced seed, which was fruit which was a hundredfold. That wasn't the prolific spread of goodness that some would like to think is going to happen. Now before we go any further, you'll notice that Jesus, when he starts these parables, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is not the church. If we start equating all these parables to refer to the church, we end up with some strange doctrines. The kingdom of heaven is probably easiest explained as the sphere, the area where the gospel has been presented. Christendom. The scene of the confession of Christ, whether it's true or false, but where the gospel has been presented and where Christ has been professed and confessed, whether true or false, Not believers only, but all who outwardly profess Christ's name. Christendom, I suppose, is the easiest explanation. Let's look at quickly just at the parable of the tares. It's interesting that in the world, true sons of the kingdom will be side by side with the sons of the wicked one until the end of the age. There will always be that admixture in the in the world of the true and the false. It doesn't say that the the good seed took over, there was a gradual increase until they were in the majority and the tares were in the minority you know from an agricultural point of view that's that's very true as well we don't when we go into a field with a lot of weeds it's usually the weeds take over and the the good seed is choked but let's go on to the mustard seed these are the two which i want to just major on a little bit The mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven, is like to a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. Now, as I said, People have different explanations of these parables and they have them to suit their theories. Gill is a, a commentator who wrote many years ago but he's accepted very much by people today. And here's what his explanation of the parable of the mustard seed is. I'll give you his explanation first. He says it waxed and Grew to a great tree. Here's what he says which may design the spread of the gospel in the world, the flourishing state of the church of Christ, and the growth of grace in the hearts of believers. This seed, which was the smallest seed, grew into something which was massive. And he says that represents the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Now remember what Jesus said about the fowls of the air. Jesus said the fowl of the air was the wicked one who came and snatched the seed from the wayside. And this parable follows on almost immediately from what Jesus had given as the explanation of the first parable. So what explanation Jesus gave of the fowls of the air should automatically carry on to the next parable? No. Gill says this is what is meant. And he says, And the fowls of the air lodged in its branches. The fowl of the air, not Satan and his principalities and powers which devour the seed sown by the wayside, nor the angels of heaven, but he says the explanation is it's rather gracious men on earth who sit under the shadow of a gospel ministry with great delight and make their nests and take up residence in gospel churches. He says that these people, the fowls of the air, are in fact good people who take up their nests in gospel churches, sit in the branches of this tree. All which serve to illustrate and confirm the account here given by Christ and alluded to, and which expresses the very large growth and increase of the gospel and the ministry of it, of the grace of God in the heart and of the church of Christ and his interest in the world, of the gospel and ministry of it as to its large spread in the world, which at first was confined to the Jews, but was afterwards published to the Gentiles, and carried through the whole, and in ages since has made a considerable progress, particularly at the Reformation, and will make a much greater one towards the end of time, and of the grace of God in the heart, which gradually increases to a full assurance of understanding of hope and of faith, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and of the Church of Christ and his interest in the world, both as to large numbers it did consist of in the times of the Apostles and since, and will more especially hereafter. For the Church will fill the earth, and the kingdoms of the world will become the Church, and all nations of the earth will flock unto it. The people of the Jews in general will be converted and the fullness of the Gentiles will be brought in. As also with respect to the figure it will make through the great personages, the kings and princes of the earth, that will be in it. The great power and authority the saints will then have, the peace and prosperity that will be enjoyed by them. So he says this parable is an illustration of how the gospel is going to spread throughout the whole world and kings and princes of the earth will flock to join it. And this is the view today held by the majority of people. Now let's go on to the parable of the leaven. The kingdom of heaven, in verse 33, is like unto leaven which a woman took And hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Now leaven throughout scripture is always, always spoken of as something bad, something evil. Christ spoke of the leaven of the Pharisees, the doctrines and false teaching of the Pharisees. Paul spoke, he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Speaking of it in an evil way. He says to the Galatians, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Whatever you're being taught now didn't come from God. Remember, he says, a little leaven. Leaven at the whole lump. Let a little error in and it will spread throughout the whole lump. The children of Israel had to rid their houses of leaven. At Passover time, they had to go through the house and get rid of all that was evil. All the leaven had to be signifying getting rid of sin. They had to eat the Passover with unleavened bread. Today at Passover, they still eat unleavened bread. And they seek to get rid of all that is that has leaven in it from the house and the explanation of this parable is that the leaven is the gospel which is being put into the world and it's going to spread throughout the whole world till the whole world accepts the gospel now they've had 2000 years of this theory and I can't really see that it's working as yet remember Interpret that portion of scripture which is obscure by that which is clear. Throughout scripture, leaven is never spoken of as something good. It is always spoken of as something which is evil. And yet, the explanation, and I can give you Gil's explanation of it, the explanation is that this is the, the good thing which is going to go and spread throughout the whole world. They have used the parable and their theory to suit their doctrine. Instead of having a doctrine and the teachings of scripture to see if it fits in with the parable. The wrong way around. And you know in prophecy and scripture when a woman is mentioned. A woman always, nothing against the ladies. But a woman always typifies something evil. Have harlots and things like that. A good example, I suppose, if you look, uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 18, the fall of Babylon, and verse 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, "Babylon, the great, has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird." Birds again, you notice. And it goes on to describe this harlot. And the description most people will accept fits so completely, even the colours, what the Catholic Church is today. It's the harlot, a woman, a falsehood. The description most would accept speaks of the Church of Rome with all its political ramifications and how the nations have bowed down to her control and how she has the blood of the martyrs on her hands. Now let's look. That's the school of thought. They believe that this gospel is going to spread all over and people are going to flock to rest a nest in its branches. This is the trouble when we mix the teaching of the kingdom of heaven as being the church as distinct from Christendom. What did our Lord teach about, let's look at the other school of thought that says that the, the church is going to be something which is small and yet significant. What did our Lord teach? Matthew 7, go back a few chapters in Matthew, Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Throughout the New Testament we have many warnings of impending heresy and false teachers arising in the church and throughout Christendom. Second Peter 2, I'll read these. As there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken. We see that. All the people that claim to be Christian and following Christ, the way of God is evil spoken of because of these hypocrites and false teachers. In the old days, false prophets, if you were a false prophet in the time of the law and you prophesied something that didn't uh, come about, you were stoned or put to death many of the false prophets today if that applied there'd be a few of them that wouldn't still be around jesus also warned of the situation arising in matthew 7:15 he says beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves Paul many times warns First Timothy 3, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Paul had been three years in Ephesus. He had been constantly preaching and teaching in Ephesus for three years. But when he was leaving and taking leave of the elders, here's what he said. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them John the beloved John who always spoke about love in his epistles he says beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world Hereby know you, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver. John goes on to say, If there come unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. speed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. But John, who who spoke so much about love, he is very hard on people who teach doctrines which are not in accordance with God. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that this is the last time. Jude says, I have been obliged to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints, for certain men have got in unnoticed. They who are of old were marked out beforehand to this sentence, ungodly persons, turning the grace of our God into dissoluteness, and denying our only master and Lord Jesus. So the writers, the writers in the Testament, you could say, oh well, Paul said that. Or they all say the same thing. That there will be false teachers entering in to the church. And really, a lot of us would believe that this actually has happened. The birds of the air resting in the branches of the mustard seed. The leaven is spreading throughout the good meal tapping the number of false teachers multiply daily we have these prosperity preachers that we know about Benny Hinn and Copeland but then we also see men like Billy Graham once accepted by many but now showing up in true ecumenical colours you know in a recent radio interview Billy Graham said he was unsure of his salvation But he was sure that the Pope had gone to heaven. And yet he said he was unsure of his own salvation. Men who seemed kosher a few years ago now seem to accept doctrines which are contrary to the plain teaching of scripture. They preach damnable heresies. Many of them. And you know, it won't be popular if you say this kind of thing. Peter says these people have privily slipped in. Not all at once. You know, if you have sheep in a field, they don't all suddenly jump over the fence all at once. They go further and further. They get to the edge. One of them slips through. Another one slips through. Until after a while, they've all slipped through. And that's the way these heresies come in. They don't all come in and change everything straight away. They produce a heresy. And then they they go a bit further and a bit further. Before you know where you are, the doctrine has been changed and souls have been snared even denying the Lord that bought them. And we see that. You know, uh, scripture tells us that the, the gods of the nations are, are, are heathen, that the gods of the nations are devils. And yet you go to, to see the service for in, in St. Paul's, where, where they're having a service the other day for all the people who were killed during the, the, the uh, suicide bombings in London. And all the, the false religions are lined up there in a building which is dedicated to the, the, the worship of God. The only true God. And yes, these heresies have been allowed to slip in. Privily. Peter says, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. These false doctrines, they'll make merchandise of the people. And that is so true. These American prosperity teachers, they're all making money Out of the people who follow them, the Roman Catholic Church is another good example. When we're uh, over in Ireland, we we have these more so than here. If anyone dies, they produce mass cards. The person goes and they they have the best intention, but they go and they go to the priest and they have a mass card, which they pay for in order that a mass will be said for the person who has died. They are made merchandise of. That's what that's what Luther was against. Indulgences. People say, oh, indulgences, those are things that the Roman Catholic Church had years ago. No, they're not. The Pope, the past Pope who died, introduced many indulgences for people who had died. Jesus said, and here's a very interesting thing Jesus said. He said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, when the Son of Man comes again, shall he find faith on the earth? Will, he, will there be people who will still have faith? That was his answer. And Paul, writing in Thessalonians, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. It's prophesied before the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, there shall be a falling away first. You know, when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he didn't say, you know, when I leave, you're going to have a big revival. There's going to be hundreds are going to be converted and the church is going to spread and spread. No, he didn't say that. He said, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The birds will come and nest in the branches. The leaven will spread. What a pessimist these people were, always talking about the church going to be infested by false doctrines. Jude, Paul, uh, John, uh, the Lord Jesus himself, all prophesying that evil was going to spread in the church. And that we had to be on our guard. And these weren't just the ideas of men. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. These men were inspired to write And to warn us of the situation that was going to come about. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. These men, in writing these pessimistic predictions, were in fact writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine. Any modern evangelist. Giving out this type of. Pessimistic publicity. Before he starts. His crusades. Listen I'm finished. A word of comfort. In the words of our Savior. Luke 12. I have it all written down. So i read it. And he said unto his disciples, the Lord Jesus, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, But God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to a statue one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If so God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye that what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. That's what Jesus says. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also let your loins be girded and your lights burning fear not little flock